Part 1. A Little Rascal Chapter 1. August 1963, age 8 Frankie, come this way, Robert yelled. Shh! Frankie caught up to Robert and thumped him on the arm. Shut up, or they'll hear us. It was the summer of 1963. President Kennedy was bumping chests with Cuban dictator Fidel Castro while soothing a country still coping with the fallout from the missile crisis. On the other side of the world, the United States' involvement in another country threatened by communism, Vietnam, was creating a tremendous amount of tension with the uncertainty of war looming. Robert and his brother were not aware of the volatile situation of the world in which they lived, nor were they concerned. To them, their world consisted of a small Italian neighborhood in Brooklyn centered on Fulton Street and Rockaway Avenue and extended no further than a few blocks in every direction from their home. To them, they had no time to worry about wars or rumors of wars with other countries. They had plenty of battles to deal with where they were. To them, it was more important that summer vacation was in session, a time when kids had no agenda, no schoolwork, nothing on their minds except having fun. And as it was coming to an end, they wanted to get as much playtime in as possible. As they made their way to the other side of the apartment building to the elementary school PS-155, all they were interested in was the sneak attack they were about to unleash on unsuspecting victims. Even though most of the kids in the neighborhood attended the Catholic school several blocks over in, in another neighborhood, Public School 155 was a place where they all liked to hang out during the summer. It was similar to most of the other buildings in the area. Four stories high, arched windows with no ledges, and very little architectural details. But its appeal was more than its facade. To the teenage girls, it was a place away from home where they could talk about crushes and the latest trends without parents or younger siblings listening in on their conversations. For the teenage boys, it was where the girls were. For the younger kids, it was the ideal site for a game of hide-and-seek. Robert was eight at the time, and Frankie was a year older. They had an idea of what was happening in the outside stairwell of the school, so as they got closer, they quit talking and snuck up along the wall. They could hear voices. One in particular stood out from the rest. Robert and Frankie both tipped their heads up and sniffed the air like hound dogs. They smiled at each other, their suspicions now verified. They crept a little closer until they were right up next to the stairwell, but still out of sight. As they heard the screech and roar of the elevated train nearby, Robert and Frankie nodded to each other. They both jumped out and yelled. All the girls hanging out in the stairwell screamed, except for their sister Betty. After the noise of the train subsided, she said, Frankie, Robert, what are you doing here? The two boys laughed, slapping each other on the back for successfully scaring Betty's friends. That's funny. We were just about to ask you the same thing, Robert said, knowing they had caught her doing something she wasn't supposed to be doing. It's none of your business. Yeah, maybe it's not my business, but it's mommy's business. Their mother was the backbone of the family. She kept all five of her kids well-fed and clothed, despite the small budget she had to deal with. She was also the disciplinarian, and never hesitated to keep her kids in line. Betty brought out the cigarette she hid behind her back, stared at Robert and Frankie for a second, and took a long drag from it. Man, she is cool, Robert thought. It reminded him of the commercials he saw on TV of good-looking girls and well-built guys running around on the beaches enjoying the sun and surf, smoking Bel Air cigarettes. She blew out a steam of smoke that curled back on itself and then dissipated into the brightness of the sun. I'm almost 15. I can smoke if I want. Okay, Robert shrugged a couple of times. Come on, Frankie. They started walking towards their apartment building. Wait! Betty stepped down from the stairs, crossing her arms as she planted herself in front of them. 
What do you want? She asked with half-opened eyes and a smirk. The brothers turned around and walked back. Teach us how to smoke, like you do. What? Like I do? Yeah, you know. Cool-like. Betty was tough. Not just tough for a girl, but tough by any standard. Up until she was about 14, she was a tomboy who loved to play sports. She had a temper. All the kids in the neighborhood had either seen its fury or experienced its wrath. Even the boys in the neighborhood were afraid to fight her. Robert was known as Betty's little brother, and even though he never let her know it, he was okay with that. He knew he could count on her to look after him, despite his pesky little brother ways. When the neighborhood kids played punch ball, Betty would always pick Robert when she was captain, despite being the smallest kid on the block and his inability to play very well. Even though, presently, she was more into flirting with boys than fighting them, everybody still respected her, and more than anything, Robert wanted respect. In a way, he wanted to be like her, which at the time meant learning how to smoke like she did. With that in mind, he devised the blackmail scheme and included his brother in his plans. Betty looked around and uncrossed her arms, cigarette dangling between her fingers. So that's it? That's all you want? Robert and Frankie nodded. She scoffed and shook her head. Mommy'll kill me if I found out I let you two smoke. She'll kill you if you don't, Frankie said. Betty's friends stood nearby, taking in the scene, wondering its outcome. One of them was Rosalie, her best friend. She said, just do it, Betty. Give the little jerks what they want so they'll leave us alone. Betty looked at Rosalie, then turned to the boys. You're little brats, you know that? Frankie laughed and nudged Robert. And after you smoke, you're out of here, got it? We got it. Betty reached down to one of the steps, picked up her pack of cigarettes, and shook two of them out. Robert took one, and Frankie took the other. Robert stuck it in his mouth while Frankie looked his over. Betty popped Frankie on the shoulder. What? You the health inspector or something? Put the thing in your mouth already. She took a book of matches from her back pocket, tore one of them out, and lit the cigarettes. Robert was apprehensive at first. As he sucked in the smoke, he didn't draw it into his lungs. Apparently, Frankie did. He started gasping and choking. Robert and Betty laughed. Not such a tough guy anymore, are you? Betty pointed at Robert with the two fingers holding her cigarette. And you? You look like a fish blowing bubbles. Robert stopped laughing. I'm glad they're your brothers and not mine, Rosalie said. She threw down her cigarette and squished it into the pavement. Listen, I gotta go anyways. Jeannie's coming over, she said, referring to Jean Gotti, her boyfriend and one of Robert's heroes. I saw him yesterday, Robert said. Rosalie glared at him. And? I don't know, I just saw him, that's all. After Rosalie and the rest of the girls were gone, Robert and Frankie finished their cigarettes. Robert noticed Frankie didn't look too good, and he felt just as bad as Frankie looked. Betty noticed. She reached into her jeans pocket, pulled out some coins, and handed them to Robert. Here, go get yourselves a Coke. It'll make you feel better. Get some breath mints, too. Robert took the coins and walked slowly with Frankie to Jerry's, a neighborhood candy store. His head felt light, but not in a good way. He found it was best that he kept his head down to avoid getting too dizzy. Halfway there, Frankie stopped in the middle of the road. Robert, I'm, I'm gonna... Before the sentence was complete, he made a deposit on the street in three equal installments. Robert's stomach churned as he stood to the side, trying not to do the same. Come on, Frankie. You gonna let one little cigarette make you do all that? Shut up, Robert. Frankie straightened up, his face drained as he wiped his mouth with his t-shirt. When they got to Jerry's, Robert bought two Cokes and breath mints and handed one of the sodas to Frankie. 
Without saying anything, they both downed the sodas as they sat in the shade of the store's overhang. Soon the nausea subsided, and they were on their way back to their home on Fulton Street. Robert handed Frankie one of the mints. Here, suck on one of these. Frankie took the mint and popped it in his mouth, and Robert did the same. As they turned onto Fulton Street, they noticed red lights flashing and a crowd gathered out in front of their apartment building. Robert ran the rest of the way, anxious to see what was going on, Frankie not far behind. The ambulance and police were there, and the people were coming in and out of the building. He made his way through the crowd and went inside. Part of the stairwell banister leading to the second floor was broken and lying on the first floor. His grandfather, who was living with his family at the time, was leaning against the wall at the landing in between the first and second floor and the medics were trying to help him. Robert could hear him wheezing. Robert's grandfather was very special to him. He and his family had moved into his grandfather's neighborhood when he was five after the death of his grandmother. It wasn't long after his grandfather moved in with him. He was a very old-fashioned Italian and only spoke in his native tongue. Robert didn't know if he even knew English. He liked his beer, and with every meal, he had to have his wine. He used to say this little Italian phrase to Robert, which basically meant, Do you smell or do you stink? And then he would laugh. His grandfather had a regular routine. He pulled a chair up to the apartment window and propped his arm on a pillow laid on the windowsill just so he could watch Robert and his friends play ball out in the street while he sipped on a beer. It made Robert feel good to know his grandfather was watching, so he would try to do his best to impress him. He was also the first person to let Robert have alcohol. One holiday, he gave him some wine while Robert sat hidden under the table. He got so drunk that he kept banging his head against the legs of the table. Robert felt like he was one of his grandfather's favorites and loved him a lot. Now, seeing his grandfather lying helpless in the stairwell devastated him. He yelled, Grandpa, and tried to get to him. But before he could get up the stairs, a police officer stopped him. Hold on a second, the officer placed his arm in front of Robert. That's my grandpa. The police officer started walking toward the front door with Robert in tow. I understand. Just wait out here so we can help him out. He opened the door and gave Robert a slight shove outside as he ordered everyone else to leave as well. He looked around to see if he could find any of his family. He saw his mother holding his baby brother, Richard, in her arms, and for a brief moment the urgency of his grandfather's demise was replaced with jealousy, present ever since the baby was born. Next to them was Frankie and Anna, his other sister. He made his way through the crowd to get to them. His mother was crying, dabbing at her nose and eyes with a handkerchief held in her free hand. Ma, what happened? he asked. He looked at Richard cradled in his mother's arms. I don't know. I was inside the apartment when I heard your grandfather's footsteps coming up the stairs and then a bunch of noise. I came out and found him. She started crying again. A few minutes later, the medics brought Robert's grandfather out on a gurney and eased him into the back of the ambulance. By that time, Robert's father had arrived from his job and started up the family car. Betty came up behind Robert and Frankie just in time for their mother to hand Richard off to her. Me and your father are going to the hospital. All of you stay close to home. But Ma, I want to go too. Robert's protest fell on deaf ears as his mother went around to the other side of the car and got in. They watched as the car followed the ambulance out of the neighborhood, its lights flashing and siren whirring. Later that evening, Robert got a call from Betty, who had taken Richard with her to their aunt's house a few doors down. Her voice was trembling. You and Frankie need to get down here. When they arrived, Rosalie and Doreen, another friend of Betty's, were coming out of the building crying. What's wrong? Robert asked. Rosalie said, just go on inside. 
and she and Doreen left. As Robert walked in, many of his aunts, uncles, and cousins were there, all with mournful expressions or wet eyes. He made his way through the living room and saw his weeping mother in the kitchen, clinging to Richard as if someone had just tried to steal him. Both Robert and Frankie ran to her. She unlatched one arm from the baby and wrapped it around both of the other boys. Robert savored his mother's attention, a rare commodity since the arrival of Richard. Robert looked up to her. Is Grandpa dead? His mother tightened her lips, her face unable to hide the anguish as she gave a slight nod. She explained that their grandfather was climbing the stairs to their apartment and was a little tipsy from drinking too much. He had made it to the top but lost his balance. To keep himself from falling, he grabbed the banister, but apparently it was as old as he was and gave way to the stress, sending Grandpa tumbling down to the landing. The fall caused a rib to break, which punctured one of his lungs. He died at the hospital. The rosary was held at a nearby funeral home for three days. Robert's parents didn't allow him to go. On the third day, Robert was sitting on the stoop outside his apartment when his Uncle Barry walked up. Have you seen your grandpa yet? Robert shook his head. Do you want to see him? Robert nodded. Uncle Barry looked around and then said in a lower voice, I know for a fact that no one's in the parlor right now. How about I sneak you in? Robert's face lit up. Okay, come on. Robert closely followed his uncle. When they got inside the parlor, he closed the door. Across the room was a coffin, something Robert had never seen. His breaths became shallow, uncertain of what he would see, since he had never seen a dead person before. He looked up at Uncle Barry. It's okay, he gave Robert a little nudge. Go ahead. Robert made the short walk to the coffin as long as possible. He wasn't tall enough to see the body from the other side of the room, but as he approached, his grandfather began to appear first his hands, then his chest, and finally, as he was standing next to the coffin, he saw his grandfather's familiar face. His eyes were closed, just like the many times he had seen him sleeping. You need to say something to him? Uncle Barry's voice startled Robert. Go ahead. Tell him what you want to tell him. Tears never start in the eyes. Their origin is someplace much deeper. The place is so well-rooted that as they begin to form, the entire body trembles like a volcano on the brink of eruption. As Robert stood there gathering his thoughts, he felt the birth pains of his tears, parented by sadness and anger and fueled by uncertainty. I love you, Grandpa, he said, his tears finally springing forth and falling on the satiny material draping the coffin. He had a brief conversation with his grandfather, occasionally interrupted by sniffles and swipes by his forearm. But the words he really wanted to express formed questions never asked. Who's going to watch me play punchball now? Why did you have to get drunk and fall? Why does Richard get all of mommy's attention when I'm hurting so bad? When he was finished and the tears had transformed into dried, salty rivulets streaking down his face, he went back to the stoop, realizing that the one person who consistently showed him attention was now gone. He felt very alone. Hey, little Robert, sorry about your grandfather. Robert hadn't realized that Alberto Devazio had approached him. He didn't know much about Mr. Devazio, except that he owned a couple of businesses in the neighborhood and drove a really nice car. Listen, Devazio leaned over and placed a hand on Robert's shoulder. If you or your family need anything, just ask me. I'll see to it that you're taken care of, okay? 
Robert spoke softly. Okay. He watched as Davaccio walked down the street, greeting admirers as he made his way to his Cadillac and drove away.